Happy New Year. It is my great honor and privilege to share God's word with you in 2022. I have prayerfully searched for New Year's message for several weeks, and I have a great text for you, and uh, I mean for us today and next Sunday. Both passages come from the first book of the New Testament. So what we are about to read is a first greeting of Apostle Paul's first letter, which shows us glimpses of a primitive New Testament church and their life. This is a very fresh text that we are going to read today, and may the Lord refresh us with this freshest greeting. So let's read 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 10. We're going to read it responsibly. Paul, Silas, Timothy, to the church of Thessalonians, in God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ, grace and peace to you. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith, your labor produced, prompted by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not simply with the words, but with the power, also with the power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction, you know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of a severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. The Lord's message rang out from you, not only Macedonia and Achaia. Your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we do not need to say anything about it. For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell how you turn to God from idol to serve the living and the true God. And to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who rescued us from the coming west. Fresh uh, flowers fall, grasses withers, and the word of the Lord lasts forever. So what is your first impression of this fresh first New Testament greeting of Apostle Paul to the Christians in Thessalonica? Do you sense a warm, positive feeling in this Paul's salutation? Unlike many of Paul's greetings in other letters like Corinthians and Ephesians and Romans, here Paul does not mention his title like an apostle or a servant of God. Why? Apparently, Paul did not feel the necessity of emphasizing his, uh, his apostolic authority, authority to Thessalonian church. That means there is a good relationship existed between them. And two other important and inspiring facts in Paul's greetings here that I want to point out quickly is this. First, this greeting has a long, extensive thanksgiving that covers the entire chapter 1. Paul was so grateful and so proud of them that he cannot thank God enough. So he's thanking them you know, over and over in so many areas. Second, Paul mentioned the Silas and Timothy as co-authors of a letter, and they are his co-workers. 
And it is a biblical principle dating back to Jesus that Christian leadership is always a corporal, corporate and communal, not a solitary and a hierarchical. You know, our God is a triune God. So Father, Son, and Holy Spirit always work together. And Jesus, our Lord, also sent the disciples to his, mission, his missions two by two. Apostle Paul always has a companions of a co-workers. So working together is a more than sharing the workload. Together we have accountability and then support. Working alone is not good. Working alone is, is always dangerous, not only when we fail, but also when one succeeds. It is my prayer that Forrest will have a team of uh, not just a one lead pastor, full-time pastor, but a team of lead pastors, hopefully younger. One of us is younger, and one of us may be a woman. I am working on harder, on that harder now with more prayers than before. And you will hear more about uh, our plan in the next Sunday, our forest annual strategy talk. We have a lot of acronym in our church. So this is a one, fast, you know, forest annual strategy talk. It's more like a state of union, you know, message uh, in our church. Now, there are some... Uh, headaching churches and heartwarming churches in Paul's life and ministry. If a Corinthian church was an example of a painful, headaching church, Thessalonian church, along with the Philippian church, was the opposite example as a pleasant church. In the verse 7 today, Paul said, You became a model to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Thessalonian church was not just a pleasant church. It was a paragon of all other churches. You know, Greek word for model is a tupos, from which we have English word type. So Thessalonian church became a type of church that everybody should imitate. They became a textbook benchmarking church for others. So what made Thessalonian church a model church? If you look at the book of Acts, you'll find out they are not big church like a Corinthian church or a Roman church. They're small church, but they're shining. They're like a diamond, small but shining. In Thessalonian church, today we see the trinity of a Christian classic virtues of a faith, hope, and love. This is the first time when Paul expressed and explained the dynamic of a Christian virtues in his letters. So, before we examine each virtue, I want, I want you to see the, how often the trinity of uh, faith, love, and hope was expressed in the New Testament letters. So, later in the First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 8, Paul said this, Since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting on faith and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. By the way, does it sound very familiar to another passage in the Paul's letter? Later, this passage was fully developed as a spiritual armor in Ephesians chapter 6. And then Colossians chapter 1 verse 4, verse 4, Paul said this, 
Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. Once again, we see faith, love, and hope synergizing each other. So, you know, you cannot have a faith apart from love. And you cannot have, you know, hope apart from love. It's all working together. They go together. And that's why in the 1 Corinthians 13, 13, Paul said a famous statement that these three virtues, faith, hope, and love, always remain, but greatest of these is love. You know, as we'll see later, even in heaven, we will work because work is not a curse. You know, seriously, work is, you know, work is, you'll see, the work is a blessing. So we'll, in heaven, we'll receive a full blessing of uh, labor or work. And Paul is not the only one who talked about Trinity of faith, love, and hope. Peter also used it. So if you look at the first Peter chapter 1, verse 21, through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, so your faith and hope are in God. Now, you have purified yourself by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for each other and love one another deeply from the heart. So again, we see faith, you know, uh, love and hope working together. So, this trinity of a faith, love, and hope reminds me of Ecclesiastes chapter 4, 12, where it says that though one may be overpowered and two can defend themselves, but core of the three, strength is not quickly broken. So faith, love, and hope are unbreakable spiritual bond and the invincible divine cord. And it is my prayer that we become a heartwarming and spirit-inspiring body of Christ with a working faith, laboring love, and enduring hope that exalts our God and encourage many people in 2022. So for that, let's study deeper spiritual you know, dynamics or biblical reality of a faith, love, and hope as we start our new year. So let's look at the uh, faith first. Since Paul was thanking God for their faith first. Paul said, your work is produced by faith. You know, original text is simply work of a faith, labor of a love, and the endurance of a hope. And the Greek word here for work is ergon, ergon, from which we have an English word energy. Energy means energon, energon, energy. So we cannot be or be in work unless we have energy in us. Energy means you have a strength to do the work. Here we must recognize an important biblical theology. That is, from the beginning, there is no dichotomy between faith and work in the Bible. Faith and work are inseparable in Paul's theology as well as James' theology. Faith without work is not a true faith. As we studied the book of James last fall, faith without work is a dead faith, not a living faith. Likewise, work without faith is not authentic. It's actually very artificial and even dangerous. You know, sooner or later, work without faith. Work based on your own strength 
will backfire from the worker, either in despair or even worse in pride. So how does a faith produce energy or work? Paul tells us in verse 4, For we know, brothers and sisters, you are loved by God, and he, chose you. he has chosen you. We are loved by God, and God has chosen us. God's love and election is a basis of a faith that brings forth energy for good work. Apostle Paul connects God's love and election always together. So, for instance, later in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, Paul said this, same thing. In love, God predestined us for the adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. According to Paul, God freely loves us, that he chose, he chose us, he has chosen us for his purpose. It is not our qualification, but it's a God's gracious, free, loving election through which we become his children. By the way, I want to remind you that biblical election, I want, you know, some of you heard this, but uh, since we have some new people, I want to say this. Biblical election is not about who gets saved and who gets damned. Biblical election is all about vocation. It's all about vocation. For instance, when God called Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, it was not just Abraham and his descendants, but the whole world. So at the end, God said what? All peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Therefore, we should never misconstrue God's election as some kind of religious exclusivism. That's what Jewish people made a mistake. Or divine determinism, you know, uh, like a fate, you know, about di divine determinism about individuals. There's, you know, people talk about phrases like a frozen chosen. There's a nothing biblical about frozen chosen. You know, it's, it's, a very, it's just a philosophical idea. God's election is a deeply connected to his mission and purpose. So when we know how unconditionally and graciously God loves us and accepted us as his children, we want to make his love known to others. So having faith in such a gracious God always leads us to work hard to spread the good news of Jesus and his love to others. You know, when greatest being of all loves you and treasures you more than anything in the universe, not even sparing his own son for you, you cannot keep that good news in your mind or in your head. Faith is more than a concept. It's more than a doctrine. It's more than cognitive. Faith always moves our heart, our entire being toward God in his call of a mission. Once we have a heart, you know, our hearts are beating for others, especially those who still don't know God's heart, right? This is why we're praying for BIPs. Those of you new, we have a term called BIP that are still, you know, people that around us in our life, you know, uh, influence circle at home or work that don't know Christ and his love for us. We call these people very important people because God is seeking these people. And that's why, you know, we, our church is, a, you know, number one priority is a, going after this a lost. And the forest, and the, like a New Testament church, we have to, I have to remind you again, this is a first Sunday, so a lot of reminding. Church is more like a hospital than hotel. 
Don't forget that. This is a community of sinners getting better and helping other sinners getting better and so forth. This is not a hotel for religious. Come here, we have a program for children, youth, and, you know, whatever. Join whatever program. Have some spiritual spa, you know. We are not a hotel. We are hospital. Amen? I like the word hospital because hospital related to hospitality. Hospitality means eating. You cannot have hospitality to eating. You know, the straight, straight avenue to heart is through stomach. You feed somebody well, you have a power over that person. You know that? Seriously. So, yep. You want to reach out to VIP? Buy that person a lot of lunches and dinners. And let me tell you, I learned that from my, uh, uh, my teacher of evangelism back in my seminary days. It was not an evangelism professor. It was actually a member of a grad student at UC Berkeley that, uh, you know, that I, was, uh, you know, I was teaching and leading. And this, you know, grad student's name is uh, Eun-Suk Kim, who is now a professor at the University of Southern California, you know, electrical engineering guy. Extremely smart, but very fundamentalist. Too much fundamentalist I can stand. But these guys have uh, one simple idea of uh, evangelism. He said, if I buy somebody uh, dinner three times and they have uh, one dinner in my house, I can share the gospel with them. He's an electrical engineer, so he's a binary thinker. So he always present the gospel is, when do you think you go, to, you, you, you go after you die? Heaven or hell? All binary. You know? I hate his uh, gospel presentation. But, but do you know, in one year, he reached out more VIP than anybody in our church. In our church, in the church back then, I... We had a so-called, uh, you know, Baptist version of evangelism explosion, sort of a, you know, a concentric circle of evangelism, whatever, evangelism training. And so I'm a seminarian, so I'm supposed to train other, you know, students. So I just, you know, my pastor assigned the grad students. So, you know, we, we visited uh, another, you know, uh, recent uh, grad students from South Korea, you know. And then I just present the gospel. To my surprise, he received Christ right there. Would you believe it? I was surprised. And then the guy that, uh, my student that I took, he was blown away that Pastor Paul, spiritual giant, better than Billy Graham, you know. Later I found out that brother, that, you know, that student, earlier that evening, he had a dinner with Unsa Kim. He already, you know, so Unsa Kim gave him uh, the question, and he was pondering, and I just came later, and I just picked the fruit. But fruit was almost falling already. I just grabbed it. You know? So, hospitality. That's how we reach out to the, uh, you know, VIPs. Friendship evangelism. That's the way to go. Now, second Christian virtue is love. Here, Paul describes love in an unusual, most contra almost contradictory way. He said, your labor prompted by love. The word for labor is always used in the New Testament to refer to heavy work, sweaty work. It's a very earthy word. Matter of fact, our Lord uses it, one of his famous promises in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. There Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I'll give you rest. The Greek word for weary is the same word for labor, you know, corpus. 
So Jesus is basically c o m e to me, all you that labor or work hard. You know, Jesus used this word to signify those who overwork. And as a carpenter in Nazareth, Nazareth our Lord Jesus experienced manual labor. He knows hard labor better than anyone. And then Jesus also invited us to take his yoke upon us. Very interesting. Jesus did not promise us free of a yoke, no yoke as a happiness. He actually offered his yoke, different kinds of yoke, for happiness and rest. So listen to me very carefully. What we need, according to Jesus, is not a vacation, but a mission. What we need is not a vacation, but a vocation and mission of God. What makes my life energized, exciting, is not constantly going to resort hotels, but to joining God's holy mission. This is a football season. Last, you know, you know, a couple of weeks of, football, I mean, last, you know, this football season. So allow me to, you know, make a sermon illustration with the football season. Okay. So Michigan Wolverines, they had a really horrible loss. Go blue next year. Right. And, uh, but imagine if somehow Georgia, University of Georgia, they have so many COVID, you know, uh, uh, cases this week. So that they forfeit the game, and then all of a sudden, you know, Michigan is a replacement. Do you think uh, Michigan players will complain that, oh, no, I was ready to go vacation. I have to play one more time. Coach, give me a break. Rest me. No football player ever will complain if there's one more game, especially a championship game to play, right? Amen? Michigan, Wolverines, where are, where are you? Where's the Wolverines? Amen? Do you think they will love to play? Even though you may face, face another humiliating, you know, blown out defeat? They probably say, yes, maybe this time we can do better, you know. What makes life sweet and meaningful? Listen to me, it's not an absence of a work or labor, but a presence of a meaningful work. Labor of love. That makes our life meaningful. Love is not something cozy, easy, convenient. But actually love is something committed, something laboring, something worthwhile for our risk and then sacrifice. And truly love is not a feeling. It's a more than feeling. Love includes a feeling. But you know what? Love, the feeling, love... Loving feeling is not a basis of a love. It's actually result or fruit of a love. So if you wait for a loving feeling to love somebody, you will never love somebody, rarely. You have to love first, and then loving feeling comes to you. You know, actually, Bible calls it joy, for which I will come back at the end. So interesting that Paul decided to attach labor to love So, his, so love is a heavy lifting. Love is a hard work. And when God decides to love the world, God has to do the hardest thing, giving up his own son, only begotten son, for sinners on the cross. So love is a heavy lifting. 
And Jesus gives us a very vivid lesson of love in famous parable of Luke chapter 10. Those of you who remember Luke chapter 10 when this young Jewish you know, lawyer came to Jesus, kind you know, this guy's already have a game plan in his mind to kind of a, uh, you know, kind of a score big with Jesus. He said, oh, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? What is the greatest, com- uh, how can I, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, what does the law say? Love God with all your heart and mind and soul and love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said, well said, go and do it. And he said, he wants to really go and score. So he said, okay. This is, and he wanted to say, he said, that, oh, who is my neighbor? He was assuming that Jesus said, I mean, dummy, Jewish people, children of Abraham, they are, the, they are our neighbor. He was expecting Jesus said that. When he said, who is my neighbor? We have to remember this. You know, this is a very, this is a decoy question. He's trying to, you know, kind of make himself really self, I mean, very righteous, faithful Jew in front of Jesus. Now, this is a same huge billion-dollar tribal question that bothering everyone today in our world. Who is my neighbor? Who should I pay attention to? Why should I care about people who is not in this country? Why should I care about people who is not, you know, I mean, I never met, you know, different. This question is a question that we ask, why does black life matter matter? Why is a critical race theory critical in my child's education? This is all related, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And then at this point, Jesus gave a famous parable. There is a man went down to, you know, uh, went down between Jerusalem and Jericho, and they fell among the robbers, and they beat him up, and uh, stripped him naked, and they left him half dead on the side of the road. And then priest and the Levi came by, and they didn't do anything. They just passed by. And then third man came, and third man was a Samaritan, half Jew, mixed race. They're all Jews hated with their guts. And he came. He didn't pass by. First thing he felt for this unfortunate traveler was a compassion. In Greek words, compassion is a bowel movement. It's an intense feeling from deep, you know, you know your, from your gut. So, and not only had a, you know, deep, I mean, feel, feel love inside, but that love, it came outside. So he went to this, uh, uh, the victim of a, you know, a crime, and then he gave a first aid, putting on oil, giving him a wine. By the way, that's a dangerous because you don't know where the robbers are around. This can be a trap. But he took care of him. Not only that, he put him on his, you know, donkey and took him to the hotel and then paid them, pay extra for the, all the extra, you know, treatments. And according to Jesus, that's love. That's love. So love is a hard. Love is a dangerous. But what, you know what? Love makes our life meaningful. Love, hard labor of love, makes our life meaningful and much more memorable to our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, what people want in life is not a avoiding suffering. Actually, we all want meaningful suffering. You know, it's a meaningful suffering. 
finding people worthy or cause they're worthy to sacrifice my life, that is uh, where the joy and, uh, you know, beauty and meaning of life is found. Now, let me move quickly to third and final Christian virtue, which is hope. As a faith is energetically working, love is heavy lifting, we need a hope as our third and final virtue. Why? Oftentimes, faith is, uh, you know, exhausting our energy faster than we realize. And the hard labor of love is a very, you know, short-lived and expiring. And time like that, we need an encouragement of a hope. And Paul said the hope inspires endurance. And Greek word for endurance is one of our favorite uh, words in the Bible. That is upomone, upomone. Upomone is a compound word. Upo, under, mone, abide, or remain. So upomone, or endurance in Greek means abide, under. So that tells us the endurance is not a grit based on myself determination or willpower. Endurance in the Bible actually implies a bigger reality. That is, I need to find myself something under. I have to abide by, abide in. So remember this. Endurance is not a solo act. It's a joint act. It's not a solo act. It's a joint act. You know, Jesus said in the John chapter four, uh, four, 15, verse 4, remain in me. As, as I also remain in you, no branch can bear the fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear the fruit unless you remain, remain in me. He repeatedly said remain or abide in me. That Greek word for remain and abide is a mono. Upomone. 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 Mone. Upomone is a heightened expression of abide. Abide under Christ. You know what that means? Christian endurance is ultimately focusing on Jesus and remaining in, in Him, abiding in Him. That is endurance. We don't endure alone. We endure together with the Christ, with each other. Amen? For that, I'm going to share my last football illustration. Because yesterday, a miracle happened. Baylor Bears, second Bears. Second bear? Oh, amen. All right. Okay. I, I, I feel special bond with the Susie right now. Second bears. They won Sugar Bowl. Last time they won is 1957 or something like that. And everybody be, thought that uh, Ole Miss going to beat the Baylor Bears. You know, you know, the gamblers were betting, for, betting on the uh, Ole Miss. But Baylor beat the Ole Miss 21 to 7. But you have to know that game was actually boring. I didn't see. I'm a jinx. So I, I saw it in the last quarter, uh, last quarter, fourth quarter. In an earlier game, I heard that University of uh, Utah and Ohio State game was a high scoring, very offense intensive, exciting game, you know, from beginning to the end. Baylor Ole Miss game was a low scoring, defensive intense, that means a boring game. Boring game. After the game, the interviewer asked my favorite college football coach of the day, David Aranda, Mexican American from Los Angeles. Okay, Viva Los Angeles. Anyway, ask him how you know 
what's your, you know, give us your, your view, you know, what, what do you think, how, you know, uh, tell us about your, you know, your, your assessment of the game. And David Aranda said this. He credited to his, especially his team, but especially the seniors. Because those of you know a little bit about Baylor's, you know, history. They had so many coach, changing of coaches last four years. And these guys, they could easily transfer to other schools. But the seniors stay. And the last year, David Aranda's first year in Baylor was a record was a two wins, seven losses. This is one of the, you know, horrible records. Yet the seniors remained. They remained. He said they trusted us and for the team. They remained. They set the tone of a trusting and endurance that everybody rallied. And then he said, you know, every time Ole Miss trying to do, you know, force that, or force, you know, trying to do a force down instead of punting the ball, defense remained, remained, and remained. I learned a, a, a football lesson that is, a, it is a defensive that wins a championship. It's a defensive. The enduring hope. That's how we'll win championship. Amen? And uh, someone, Charles Spurgeon, once said, without Christ there is no hope. That means what? Christ is our hope. You know, when Christ said, abide in me, he said, you endure with me. I'm enduring with you. You're not enduring alone. I'm not asking you to just fight alone there. You fight with me. I said many times, but we don't work for God. We work with God. If you work for God, you will fail. Because none of us are able to work for God. No one can, you know, able to work for God. We only work with God. We, God works first and we just follow his lead. We are not a, you know, superhero. We are not a shepherd. We are sheep first. We follow shepherd. And that's how we become a strong. Later in the book of Hebrews, expounds on this Christ-focused endurance in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1 to 3 in this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sins that so easily entangled. Let us run with a perseverance. That is the word, is a upomone. The race marked out for us, fixing our, our, our eyes on Jesus, a pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him he endured the cross. The word endured, upomone. Scoring his shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners. That's upomone, upomone, so that you will not grow weary and lose height. Brothers and sisters, our hope is not in the favorable, you know, it's, it's not a favorable condition. Our hope is in faithful Christ. Who endured the cross for the joy set before him? That joy is none other than your salvation and my salvation, our eternal destiny. Amen? Good news is that our hope is not wishful thinking. It is a sure reality proven by crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Pastor Tim Keller once said this, gospel is this, we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we dare to believe. Yet at the same time, 
we are very loved and accepted in Jesus Christ than we ever hoped. And uh, Oswald Chambers, the author of the Christian classic, My Unmost for His Highest, he said this, Remember whose you are and whom you serve. Provoke yourself with a recollection, with these questions, and your affection for God will increase tenfold. Your imagination will not be starved any longer, and it will be quick and enthusiastic, and your hope will be inexpressibly bright. So hope. Ask us questions. Whose are you? To whom do you belong? Earlier in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul said, To church of Thessalonica, Thessalon Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We belong to God because he's our Father. We are Christ because he is our Lord. And then now, let me bring out, the, uh, there is a fourth, uh, let me bring the conclusion. There is a fourth virtue, someone call it. I think it's not a fourth virtue, but it's more like a fruit of a, this a trinity of a Christian virtues. That is a joy of a Holy Spirit. Look at the verse 5. Because of a gospel came to you, not only, not simply with a word, but also with a power, with a Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of a severe suffering with a joy given by the Holy Spirit. Here, Paul, you know, Paul pointed out their joy directly came from Holy Spirit. And uh, next week, we come back to the, sec, uh, the chapter 2 of the First Thessalonians. That's where I'll explain a little more about the historical context. But if you look at the Acts chapter 17, when Paul came to Thessalonian church for the first time and doing ministry, today's letter, Paul said there is a Holy there was a power. The, the gospel came to them with the power and Holy Spirit and deep conviction. But when you look at the Acts chapter 17, there was a no miracle reported. There was no supernatural manifestation of a power. What did he mean by then power and deep conviction and Holy Spirit? I believe it's a joy. It's a joy of God. That is the greatest power. Because when we have a joy of God, it gives us the strength when everything else fades away. Nothing strengthens my heart like a joy of the Lord. And when we serve God with a Working faith, laboring love, and the enduring hope. You know what God gives us? His joy. God will give us his joy. As C.S. Lewis confessed in the autobiography, we'll be surprised by joy. This is an incredible joy of God. So let me ask you for the last time. Are you ready for 2022? Are you ready for 22? Are you ready for rumble? For 22, are you ready for a good fight? Are you ready to run for a race for Christ's glory? Let's pray.